We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At Whoop, we measure the body 24-7 and provide analytics to our members to help improve performance. This includes strain, recovery, and sleep. Our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among Whoop members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? We're launching a podcast to dig deeper. We'll interview experts and industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. I call it the momentum loop. It's all about positive momentum. If you've got great results happening, you've got good friends around, you've got, you know, whatever those things are, music, food, girlfriend, boyfriend, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, as long as all those things are positive, because truly you become a product of your, your friends and the, and the environment totally. that you, you roll with. What's up, folks? My guest today is four-time cyclocross national champion, Jeremy Powers. Jeremy is considered by many to be the godfather of cyclocross in the United States. Cyclocross, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a lot like mountain biking, but it's pretty innovative. They do it in the cold. You have to carry your bike at various points, and it requires a ton of athleticism. Jeremy just recently made the decision to retire at age 35, having spent the past two decades racing at the very top of the sport. We talk about his decision to retire, his ability to come back from serious illness and injury at various points in his career. At one point, he actually had a collapsed lung, so we talk about how he came back from that. It was really inspiring. The mental side of racing, how his positive attitude helped him succeed. This was my big takeaway from meeting Jeremy. He's a guy who's incredibly positive and appreciative, and I think that contributed enormously to his success. And then we also get into the best nutrition and recovery tips he's discovered through a long career of self-experimentation. Lastly, one of my favorite topics, he talks about using music as a training tool. Uh, This is like a cross between visualization and meditation, and it it involves music. Really, really interesting. So without further ado, uh, here's Jeremy, an incredibly grateful, appreciative athlete who you can learn from. Jeremy, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's a, a beautiful view of, of Boston. I've never been up this high, so I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're sitting here uh, in the brand room of Whoop Office overlooking uh, Fenway Park. And 10 days ago, you just retired, or at least maybe semi-retirement, mm-hmm. from cyclocross, which is a sport you've dominated for the past 15 years or so. So talk to me about what it was like to make that decision. Yeah, I, it's a crazy decision. It took a long time, but uh, over over the last couple of years, I had started to sort of gently tease out to you know interviews and people that I was close with that you know I think I think I could see that the end was coming. There were some really great years where I had a lot of success and I was able to win a bunch of races and and really do all of the things that I thought were important in the sport and and take a real. Uh, kind of like a lead on, on growing the sport in the United States because cycling in general is such a European sport. So retiring was not an easy decision. It wasn't one that I took lightly. I, uh, you know, I got into, <laughs> I got, I did a lot of soul work, I would call it, uh, <laughs> before I got to that place where I was going to, where I was going to officially announce that I was going to retire. So a lot, <laughs> a lot. So it. over 90 UCI victories, yeah. four cyclocross national championships, 2015 Pan American Championship, most cyclocross races won by any American male. I mean, it sounds like that's as good of a career as you can possibly have. <laughs> Not to mention here in my notes, uh, I'm told that you're um, considered the godfather of the sport. Hmm. Uh, those are very flattering. It's <laughs> uh, uh, a pretty I, good run, man. Yeah, no, it was. It was. We had some great years, um, and you know, I, I, I loved it. I think that's kind of the number one thing. It's like anything in life. It's 
you got to pick something and be really good at it. And I, I, there were a lot of things that I would have loved to have put a ton of energy in, into over the years. Um, I love music. I love business. I love, you know, learning. I love so many things. And I felt like I made a decision somewhere in my early mid twenties where I was like, I'm going to stop going to school. I'm going to focus 100%. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to learn from the best riders. I'm going to try to really become a uh, student of this sport and just kind of get everything I could out of my body. And I never was the most talented rider for a fact. Um, you know, I, but I had a lot of drive and a lot of determination to get the most out of myself. And I think, um, you know, we won, we did some stuff with you all that. Well, yeah. <laughs> so describe for, uh, for our audience, like what exactly is cyclocross and how does that compare to say cycling or mountain biking? Or- right. Um, so cycling is, a, you know, a road bike ride, right? So a, like a Tour de France style rider would be a road bike. Um, someone like Kate Courtney, you know, who you yeah. had on the show recently, uh, would be a mountain biker, right? Off-road. Um, those, those races could be, uh, well, the road races could be anywhere to five, six, seven hours sometimes. Uh, yeah, right. Mountain bike race is usually around two hours. Uh, cyclocross race is one hour. So, <laughs> so it's a faster pace. Way faster. Um, I like to say it's the difference between chess and checkers. Okay. Uh, it happens really, really quickly. And so for me, that always was... I always look to that because, you know, I feel like it's a lot of people call it disability, but I call it my like my strength, you know, my short attention span, my ability to sort of memorize things quickly and then forget about them. Um, I felt like cyclocross was the the discipline of cycling that suited me best. So I I loved it from the first time I did it. I loved it. The races when you're a junior, they're 45 minutes long. It matched my personality perfectly. And as you know, you you age up, they become an hour long. But uh, everything about it. The laps are six to seven minutes long. They have tons of little obstacles. Um, it's raced on a road style bike. Basically, if you if you kind of blended a road bike and a mountain bike, that's what it looks like. And uh, yeah, I just just really fell in love with everything about it. All the little details and all the little things that you can sort of master within it. Um, yeah, it's not just doing four hundred watts up a big climb. It's doing um, knowing how to get the tire pressure right and memorizing this part of the track and then you know executing this obstacle perfectly and practicing that so all those things fascinating well i've always been drawn to to people that are broadly speaking into biking and cycling and cyclocross and and mountain biking because i think it's like you guys are so technical in the way that you talk about everything sure and especially like from a data standpoint too so i'm curious how um how did you go about your training like early in your career? And then let's talk about how that potentially shifted over the course of your career. Well, I, th- I think when I was young, you know, something like a, a power meter was like a big deal. You right. know, you're getting a power meter. Um, I always, when I was young, because I, I was doing it as a way to get, to get out, to get exercise, to, to kind of get all my energy out. I think it just started really, I didn't have a coach. I just rode a lot. And then you know, as you start to do it more and more, you get a coach and then they give you some structure. And then you get to that point where you're really starting to talk about like power and mapping out a schedule and sort of planning these things. I'm doing a really quick rip through, but you know, it's everything sort of with, with a little bit of success kind of starts to take a little bit more seriously. It's, I want to have a different coach. I want to travel to this race. I want to focus on my diet. I want to try to um, improve this thing that I know is a weakness of mine. Whatever, whatever it is, and you know, and in the last years, <clears throat> it's it, in the last years of my career, it was, you know, diet, recovery, gym. These were things that I wasn't doing in the early phase of my career that really helped me later uh, considerably. And so, huge question, um, but but definitely all of. Everything that a professional athlete would do um, is all, literally, I, I tried to find every single small increment that I could to improve my performance. So let's let's talk about a day in the life of Jeremy, like sure. a, at your peak of training. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, what's the th- first thing you're doing? Uh, you know, in the last, probably in the last years, um, a, a glass of water with some Start with, with, water. Some, with some lemon. Yeah. Um, I try to I try to jump out of bed as quickly as I can. Uh, I try not to sit in bed. I try not to look at my phone or start my day without kind of getting out and getting some sun. I like I like to just get sun on my face. I like to just be you know alive right away as quickly totally. as I can. Um, yeah, a glass of a glass of water with lemon is always is always a good start. And then um, in the last two years, you know, it's kind of hanging with my son and getting things going. But 
in the peak of my career, um, I really would, I would focus on a nice breakfast. So whether that was kind of like as much nutrient dense food as I could, and then I'd plan my day, everything that I could, I'd kind of go through and, and write back any quick emails that I needed to, cause I owned and ran my own program. It's not a team sport. Yeah. Know? Right. So I would do a lot of quick book work and then I'd try to be on my bike by 10, 11 o'clock at the latest. Um, and then I'd focus my entire day around my ride and my training. And sometimes it would be one session. Sometimes it would be a second session, maybe a run or or gym work in the afternoon. Um, again, what you would expect, you know, and then it kind of turns to recovery and um, how much fuel you burned and what fuel you're going to put back in. And so those are all things that I think were, um, yeah, you just, you learn a lot about yourself from doing it. So let's go back to breakfast. So what did you like to eat for breakfast? Yeah. You know, I always, I always have eggs with breakfast. So I'm a big eggs guy. Too, yeah, love, I love eggs. I think, um, I think there was a time when I really loved a high carbohydrate breakfast. And as I started to age up, I'm, I'm 35 years old. So yeah. in my early 20s, I think I was really, really high carb. More I carbs. loved, yeah, everything was carbohydrate based. Um, and as I got older, I really started to shift more towards, you know, fats, healthy fats, uh, protein, and then a smaller amount of carbohydrate, especially in the morning. I just felt like the blood sugar was something that I was really fighting with. I felt like I'd get a lot of highs and lows. And so I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to really keep my blood sugar consistent throughout the day. So I wouldn't have these huge peaks and valleys. Um, I don't know if that's just me or if that was kind of a, a, a effect of dieting probably pretty hard in my early 20s from all the racing and trying to be at like a peak weight for a really long time. But definitely in my mid-20s, I started to get some pretty good glucose fluctuations after eating breakfast, and I felt like I need to really start to dial in. So. And how did you know you had a high glucose fluctuation? I could just feel... You could feel it. Yeah, I could feel like the bonkiness after breakfast. Like I'd feel like I would do... I'd go out and I'd just... I'd immediately feel really down. And I, but I had just eaten a bunch of fuel. Right. So I, I feel like I, I chased that pretty hard as well. I went and saw some people that were endocrinologists and doctors and things just so that I could make sure that I was obviously healthy and things were going well. And it really just came down to kind of being... Uh, one doctor called it like a super pancreas where my body would secrete a lot of insulin when it would... It was just very sensitive, you know? So when I would eat food I would get a lot and then but then I would level back out and I'd be great um, but that seemed those those variances seemed to really happen in the mornings it was particularly after I'd wake up and I'd be in like let's say I, you know didn't eat anything from nine o'clock at night and then I didn't start my day until 8 a.m. you know it'd be almost 12 hours so yeah um, so I think those were when we would see those big fluctuations but changing my diet and in turn learning a lot so using um, you know a tracking app and like really learning about macronutrients and what what did you use from a tracking standpoint on nutrition um, I guess it would be like is it Matt? <laughs> my fitness pal yeah my fitness pal yeah. Uh, so yeah so I used my fitness pal that was kind of the first one that we knew about scanning all the labels but that was a beautiful process because you really did learn like okay I can't do less than 200 grams of carbohydrates I really need to you know up my fat so I don't want to just take in so much protein that led me down to a ketogenic diet which I tried for about two months and was really fun for me um, I learned I learned a lot about just during that whole period. I mean, I did this for over a year, but the ketogenic stuff I did for about two months. And most of our most of our audience is probably familiar with keto, but just describe it yeah. briefly for people who are super aren't. high fat. Yeah, <laughs> everything. Like yeah, you're eating. You're like eating a stick of butter in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this seems weird, but somehow this is the right thing I should be doing. Um, yeah, just a lot of avocados, a lot of um, you know whole fat milks, and um, just heavy creams and things like that. Just really fat, just straight fat. Yeah. Um, and you're not eating carbs, and you're, you're not, not eating, eating a lot of carbohydrate, yeah. which was cool. Except for forcing a pathway. My sport is very high glycolytic effort, yeah. um, and during the phase that I did that in was like a base training phase, so it was really low intensity, uh, super fun um, to play with and manipulate. Your, your diet to that extent really changes things. And, and, and there's a bit of a euphoric sense. I don't know if you've ever done the ketogenic diet at all, but it's... I haven't gone keto. I did paleo for maybe six months. Sure. Which is the closest thing so, I can relate yeah. to it. Super clean. Really, yeah. Really. And it is restrictive. Yeah. So paleo, for, for those unfamiliar, is like you're eating like a caveman. Yeah. It's like meat and vegetables yeah. pretty much. And and sure, fat to the extent that you can get it, but it's it's certainly like there's no dairy, no bread, no pasta, things of that nature. Yeah. So there's some overlaps between keto and paleo. I think paleo is a little more restrictive. Keto is a little bit more 
fat heavy or a lot more fat heavy. And pretty restrictive. There's not a ton yeah, of food. Yeah, they're both know, pretty restrictive. Yeah. I mean, both are pretty anti-alcohol. Yeah. Um, what else am I forgetting? Yeah. Well, I think it's just that. I think it's just all fat. So it's, you know, macadamia nuts. Yeah, it's, nuts it's, are really big in yeah, both. It's all of those things. It's anything that it does, you know, if it doesn't grow in the forest, right, then it's probably not, in, in, at least in the paleo side. And then on the keto side, it's really, if it doesn't have a ton of fat, then it's probably not going to fit in. But when you're exercising a ton, I think you can start to play with the numbers a little bit like, okay, I could probably eat 100 grams of carbohydrate and still stay within the ketosis spectrum. Uh, but anywho, getting back to the original point, I, uh, my day would start out with, um, later in my career, quite a bit of, of fat. And so I would start out with eggs, avocado, you know, and then a small portion of carbohydrate so, with it. But on the keto front, so you did it for two months. Yes. Like how, did your, how differently did you feel and is this something that you recommend to other people now? I, I would say, um, you know, intermittently, like you, you should try it, right? You yeah. should try it, but don't, I wouldn't say for, you know, years of your life. I think or if you're going to do that, that's awesome. You should totally do it if it works for you, but you should definitely have someone looking over your, your blood values and like making sure you're healthy with it. Because uh, I've known some people whose cholesterol has gone up, you know, 400, 500. I'm not a doctor, yeah, like, that's like, <laughs> but that's I'm just really saying, high. you know, it's super, super high. And I think that you got to be careful with, uh, with any like diet that's so extreme and so close. I, I felt like towards the end of it, I was starting to get some sensitivities. Like if I, you know, I'm eating three, four avocados a day for a month. It's like, a lot but that was the amount of fuel i needed because i was riding also for four or five hours i think it's especially hard for for an athlete of your level to be pure ketogenic i think so because it's just like it's pretty unnatural for your body right but here's the cool thing right all those uh glucose all that went away yeah so that's kind of how we could isolate so okay yeah so it is absolutely carbohydrate uh where where you know that's what's that's what's giving me this this spike right it's it's some of it's so you dialed down the yes, carbohydrates no, when you came off keto. Yeah, in in keto, right, there is not a lot of insulin being secreted. Right. <laughs> so so yeah. that's what we, we kind of ID'd it through just process of elimination. Like, well, let's take these things away. Yeah. And let's do some food sensitivity testing. And so we did a lot of great stuff. And I think I learned a lot about my body in that, that probably that year that I was doing all that testing. Yeah, the people, like, the feedback I've given people on having gone paleo is that it does make you feel... I felt very clear-minded when I was on it, right. but the the reality was I wasn't on it 100% of the time yeah. over that period, and it made me feel so weird when I, when I didn't follow, when I didn't, wasn't perfect. Like, if I had a turkey sandwich, I felt horrible, <laughs> like, like, really bad, the you guilt, know? The guilt factor. And so my takeaway was, like, <laughs> do I actually want my body to feel this, re- like, unresilient to any other, other things out of this clean population? And I don't know, as someone who travels a lot and who's certainly not a professional athlete, it just seemed like an inconvenient way to, to live life. I, I, so I don't regret yeah. like trying it and doing no. it. And in general, I think it's cool to try these things and kind of shock your body. I just It's hard for me to believe any of these diets are the right thing for you to do for a really long period of time. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think everything is all, all things in moderation. Yeah. You know, if you said to me, hey, I'm going to drink... Uh, 30 bottles of Gatorade because I think that's what I should do, I'd tell you that that's not a good idea, right? If you said I was going to eat, you know, 30 avocados a day, that's also, even though that, that you know, seems, <laughs> yeah, right. even 30 even bananas, like let's just keep going. I mean, any of those things are kind of, you know, everything in moderation. And I think too, um, you, you know, you know when you're eating healthy, when you put a salad with like, nice you know everything looks really pretty and it's bright and there's good stuff you know that feels good like that that's the, that's what we should be eating it's good to vary from that you know have a burger have some fries have a beer whatever you got you want to live too that's a beautiful there's a lot yeah, of beautiful places of to eat that's right so you want to you want to indulge in that but you also i think you know it's where you're it's where the main, you know, the, the, the meat and the potatoes of everything is is like right in the center and you just want to kind of be healthy with i think all your choices so, okay, so you have breakfast. Uh, we've talked about how your diet's evolved. <laughs> yeah. Um, over the course then of the morning, are you now exercising or it sounds like you do a little bit of work? Yeah. I mean, now these days I'm, I'm waking up and I'm, you know, getting my son ready for his day. Uh, I have a two-year-old son. And, and so that's, uh, that has changed a lot in the last two years because, sure. yeah, we need to be able to, I want to spend time with him, A, but B, I also want to make sure that I'm, you know, getting him out the door on the right foot. And so then I come back and that's usually around 9 a.m. and I get my day going. Um, yeah, and then at that point, I try to start to, to shift, you know, if I need to kind of tap out some quick 
morning emails or work things. There has to be time for that at some point. Then I start to shift. If it's raining, you know, it rains a lot here in New England. That's where we're at. Um, I'll go to the gym. I'll start my day with a with a gym workout. Uh, and if it's uh, if it's going to rain or snow all day, then I'll then I'll pivot towards another type of exercise, whether that's a trail run or um, like the fat bike or you know some skiing or who knows what you know. You pick pick an exercise, just yeah. some cardio. Um, but yeah, and if it's nice out, then I'll probably just get out on the bike and I'll try to focus a lot of my work on the bike, whether that's uh, low cadence work, you know, to simulate some gym stuff or that's interval training or, um, yeah, whatever we kind of have picked or I need as a maybe a naive question, but yeah. the bike that you're using, is that going to be the same bike as what you're going to compete in for cyclocross or are you sometimes riding on different types of bikes just from a training standpoint? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll ride mountain bikes. I'll ride cyclocross okay, cool. bikes, so you will road bikes. Back. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. We get tons of different bikes. So yeah, I try to, uh, I try to make sure that I have a road bike always running. And nowadays we've got gravel bikes. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Like road bikes, but with huge like, mountain bike tires, different than cyclocross. These are very yeah. uh, gray, grayish areas, but they're all pretty similar. But basically it's a road bike that can kind of go anywhere. Now, do you feel like if you just jumped into one of these other forms of, of biking as a sport, mm. uh, that you would be pretty competitive with top people? Yeah, I, mean, I raced on the road for ten years as a as a pro, so I definitely did my time racing on the road. Okay, so <laughs> um, you did that. Yeah, but it was more of a out of necessity. Road racing I was going through the roof at that time, and it was just so popular. popular there were yeah. great races, and I was lucky enough to do some of the fantastic North American uh, races, stage races that that are still some of them like Tour of California are still really prominent. So uh, I, I really, I loved that time in my life. I loved being a teammate. I loved having friends and kind of doing, you know, doing work as a, as a, as a unit versus just a single person because as an individual athlete like mountain bike or cyclocross, it's really just you, you know, the strongest totally. person wins. But in the team side where it's the road, there are so many people that are just kind of working towards one goal or for one person, which I, I did. Yeah, I loved that. That was fun. It's a lot less pressure. Because you ought, like it's just as good if one of your teammates wins as it is if you win. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like there was a side of me that when I was racing on the road um, was excited for someone else to do well. I was I was happy to work for a teammate because because during the winter and the fall and winter months that was cyclocross season and the spring and the summer is road season. So I'd I'd do that work for the team in the spring and summer and we'd do all these great races and do a bunch of traveling and road is so much different than cyclocross and then cyclocross would come around and it would be more focused on me and, and what I needed and, and everything went towards that. So um, but there's a lot more pressure that comes with that. Describe how you actually help a teammate win. You sit in the wind. You get a lot of it's like yeah. drafting, like yeah. setting yourself yeah. up, looking out for them, bringing them, you know, a bottle, just trying to let them conserve energy, essentially. So uh, if they if it's going to rain, you go back and you get their rain jacket from the car, or you get some, you know, an extra bottle so that they have more hydration if they need food, a specific type of food. You can go back to the car. Um, basically, if they need to go to the bathroom, you can push them along while they go. I mean, little things like tiny. We're talking. You know, just such. But, but all of that adds up. But yeah, but this person's been weighing their food for the last you yeah. know, two, three <laughs> months to get ready for this race. So you're like, every little bit really helps when you're in a road race. Okay, cool. So, okay, so we're going back now. You've done your first workout, yeah. right? You've done some kind of cardio. Yep. What and, um What do you like to do immediately? Are you big on stretching? Or yeah, you... yeah. Uh, I usually I usually do a quite a bit of. Uh, I do quite a bit of stretching. I've been I've been told I'm very very flexible, so I do love. You look flexible. Yeah. Okay. Fair you, enough. You know, like I mean, I, I don't know why I <laughs> okay. just feel that, but like, I right. get a sense that you're like pretty nimble. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So I can stretch. Um, I, I have some some specific stretches that I love to do. Um, if if it's a day where I haven't where I felt like it was really just centered around like cardio and stuff like that, I do maybe 20, 30 minutes of core, just some small exercises while I was listening to the news or. Yeah, listening to who knows what, just a podcast or something, just kind of after. But usually right after my ride, it would be a protein shake, um, and then it would be you know a meal, like a pretty heavy carbohydrate meal. And then there's kind of that, that, that down period after that. There's when you eat a big meal, it's kind of relaxed. And- yeah, it's probably like an hour where you're just kind of, you're tired, you know? And is that meal, uh, that meal's a lot of carbs, you said, obviously? Usually, yeah, usually like for me. what kind of carbs? Yeah, uh, 
I've been gluten free for about two years. Okay. Um, so it's Kate really Courtney true. was gluten free too. I yeah. Learned. Yeah. I think it's. I think for cyclists, I think the lack of inflammation, even if there's a small cyclists, bit, yeah. you know, I think it does. It you feel it. That's one thing about cycling is that you you learn you learn so much about your body from doing it. Um, you know, just you just feel like there's there's something there's something more to get out of out of your day, and so then if, if there's a little bit of control there too, you can manipulate your. Like oh, if I don't eat gluten, <laughs> and I feel just a little bit better, you know, and that's that's kind of all these small incremental things are are what uh, are what you look for. So, gluten. Um, so to answer your question again, rice <laughs> yeah. uh, was a big one. Uh, quinoa. Um, you know, yeah, we. I mean, there's so many gluten free pastas now. Um, bread. Uh, I mean, there's gluten free bread. Yeah, yeah, there's all types. I mean, really, it's pretty so simple. Whatever, as long as it's gluten free. That's right. Cool. And, uh, okay, so you have this big meal. You've stretched a little bit. Yep. Now you're chilling for an hour. Yeah, and then at that time, I'll either catch back up on emails or, you know, I'll do some kind of some body work. I'll either write a little bit or I'll do some meditation. I try to, when my days are a little bit uh, more crazy, I actually try to meditate later in the day. I know that's uh, something that you, I've heard you talk about in your podcast, but um, kind of my whole thing has been about, my energy level and like more like i said a little earlier is like soul soul work you know my my stuff is not necessarily based in um in like a specific type or anything like that specific practice it's right it's more about you know i started out with headspace really simply i just got on headspace and i was like hey i need to start somewhere and um you know with therapy and all these things really everything revolves around my ability to say no to something yeah (laughs) um and in my ability to kind of take less on. I want to do it all and I want to do three things at once. I kind of I kind of encompass it by saying the mind body connection. So, yeah, like you kind that. of get into this I call it a flow state when you're doing these exercises. You're doing them you don't really know, you know, why. Like, what, what, what you're doing an interval. You're doing intervals and if you just think about how much they hurt, you, you that's a that's not the way to do it, right? You yeah, want you need to, get, to pull your body out of that. Yeah, you need to be really clear. And so I feel like I was doing a lot of meditation, and, and people get to that place from a, a lot of different ways, you know. And some people do drugs. <laughs> like yeah, some people, right. you know, people free their mind from 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 all types of ways. But for me, exercise was the way. And I feel like, you know, I, I first, like I'd said, my mom was really big on getting me in with a sports psychologist. I don't know if she read it in a magazine or whatever, but we found one in the area, and he cool. was he was super cool. And, and so how old are you when you're seeing this? I was probably like 17 or 18, okay. you know, like my last year of, of high school. And what kind of things were you doing with him? Yeah, we would, um, because of my love of music and the music that I really was like pumping me up and using those things to sort of turn on. And then all the little things huh. that you have thought about with the track, um, whether that this rock is here or there's this, you know, pothole over here, those things, because you've already gone through your pre-ride and yeah, you, you've totally, studied totally. The, the, the track yeah. in theory or you've raced it a year before many years before you know these things and those things are sort of concrete those things you know and your body's ready to just do them like second nature uh i think our for me that was that at that time when i was a 17 year old young man really scattered with a lot way more energy Dude, that doesn't sound scattered that sounds dialed <laughs> no it was I it, it helped it helped me so much and that that's actually when i started to have some success was after i started to work there and just really started and i think so that that mind body flow state all of that really has been a big part i mean Again, I, I even go, some people, you know, it's spiritual, right? Totally. You know, they're, they're, how do you get there? There's not just one size fits all. It's not meditation. There's so many different ways to get there, but definitely in sport and in my life, it has been huge to be able to get to, to be able to get to that place. So I want to understand the music component. So when you're racing, you're not allowed to listen to anything, right? No. Okay. So, uh, but for you, music is a big piece of your training. Yeah. It sounds like a big piece of your life. Yeah. And the, um, the sports scientists actually worked with you on how you could memorize a song mm. and play it in your head while you were exercising or while you were competing yeah i mean or you know if you're play if, that out yeah, yeah if you're you know if you've got whatever lady gaga stuck in your head and you're just you know and you're just you're just singing you know lady gaga over and over it, it the thing that i think is really was beneficial for me is is his advice was if you have a song that really like motivates you or makes you feel a certain way emotionally yeah don't listen to that song uh until it's go time and so i felt like that was 
that was huge. By for the way, me. a lot of athletes do the opposite of that. Right. Right. Like in pregame, they're listening to the song that's getting them super hyped. Yeah. Or if you look, like, I know a lot of NFL players that'll listen to, you know, really intense music probably three or four hours before the game. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing though about someone that's, uh, <laughs> you know, high energy, really kind of all over the place, is that um, do you want to be pumped up before you're already pumped up? Yeah. Right. No, actually, you want to be chilled out. Well, we've actually <laughs> seen this in Whoop data too. Like again, back to the NFL example. We've had guys that like are registering activities three hours before the game. <laughs> That's right, and and they're starting to realize like, wait, maybe I should do a yeah. chiller, yeah, warm up, yeah, you know, yeah. I think I think I actually listen to. Um, music that's less that that you know i wouldn't say classical music but i listen to music that doesn't make me feel the same way emotionally that i do what are some examples of music um like kind of slower techno like trancey type stuff just like okay. things that are just way way like i'm not i'm not motivated by them at all I, they're just so it's just background noise that's right kind of yeah puts you, yeah that other noise exactly right? yeah and, and or just take my mind completely away from it and have a conversation with someone about huh, something cool. that i'm passionate like that. about yeah. or um you know, it just so depends. this would be like you'd listen to that kind of techno type music maybe two hours before That's the right. race. Yeah, and and I think I think just not going overboard in your emotional output. So so you know it's 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 like if you think about it like a red line on a car, you know it's like nine thousand yeah. yeah. tachometer. Yeah. You want to be in that like middle range. You yeah. don't want to be at nine thousand three hours before like the guy you're talking about. You know, I, I think there's something to it where you're. Um, you really do want to be mindful on how much energy you put out. I remember listening to the the Kate Courtney podcast and really drawing some similarities with myself about you, know, you get to a race, that energy is coming from somewhere. Yeah, you know, you, you have to find that somewhere, and it's and it does. There's a huge part that uplifts you and pushes you up, but it's also there's no question that it drains. And so, I mean, you you come back from something and you're just, you know, like any entertainer. Um, you know, going back to rock and roll or from you know modern day now. Um, you're exhausted when you're done. There's no question. And how do you how do you manage all of that? And I think, you know, for me, I just learned that being too stimulated was a was a detriment to my success. And all of these things I'm talking about controlling, whether it's diet or mind body or anything, they all came back to. There's no question that we have a full tank of energy. Like I, at some point, realized I go to bed excited about the next day, and I realize that everyone doesn't do that. Yeah. Like I legitimately just a couple of days ago, we're building a fence at my yard. And the contractor came over, and I was, like, waiting. And he's like, hey, what's up? I was like, I didn't sleep good last night. <laughs> I, was like, I was so excited to, to get up and to finish this fence, like this yeah, yard cool. project. Um, yeah, you seem like you got a good attitude on life. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, that's just me. And uh, I think I just, everything that I've learned about myself has been revolving around how to kind of... How to find that balance, it yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Or something where you're not expending as much energy, but you're still delivering on you know, being you and being with fans. I look forward to the outcome. Yeah. I know that that's, I think a lot about other people and how it would make them feel if I was in that. I'm a fan of so many things too. Yeah. Right. I'm, you know, I'm, it's a pleasure to meet you. Oh, <laughs> right? Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, so I like look forward to that, but I also, I also know that, um, you know, it's going to make someone's day better if they get that photograph or they've watched a piece of my content or they've yeah, been, no doubt. you know, they've found something that they, um, that they, that they took away from it that made them more motivated to, to have a better day. Um, I want to make sure that I, I try to put that up, you know, put that on top of, of my day. And it's and then I also look forward to what's coming up, whether that's a nice meal or that my wife and family are there to watch me, yeah. um, the opportunity to win and what that would feel like. So I actually futurize quite a bit, um, for better or for worse, right? That can get bad if you have a lot in your plate and you're futurizing. It can be very anxiety. Is that actually a thing, what you just said, futurize? Uh, maybe. Is that, you just make that up? <laughs> I don't know. I think I've heard the word before. Yeah, okay. I must have picked it up from someone. I don't think I made it up. I like that as a category right. of, of things to address. So, I mean, yeah, I think that that's, that that's so much of it is just I think that you can go into a really negative place with that type of mindset. But I think if you know how to utilize it and really look forward to it, like, you know, I'm here signing autographs with these people and my next task, which is really where a lot of meditation stuff comes in, I know what my next task is, which is to get prepared for my race and have lunch and look at the track and then and then we kind of close that door and we open this new door. So you're actually thinking about where you're going next. For me has been, uh, that that's, that's definitely the late 20s, early 30s Jeremy Powers. Well, you sound like someone who's got a lot of gratitude in your life. That's you know, everything. Yeah. Everything is about gratitude. Yeah. I'm, 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 again, not to keep doing this, but 
grateful to be here. <laughs> no, I appreciate that a lot, and and likewise. I mean, it's it, I don't know. It's been a thread for me recently, um, and in part maybe it's from doing some of these podcasts, but. It's like I, that to me keeps coming up is like the importance of gratefulness, the importance of of kind of documenting in your mind these few things. Even they could even be very little things. Oh, I really enjoyed my coffee this morning. Sure. And and somehow that just starts to create a shift in your mind of the way you're approaching the world. Definitely, yeah. I, with the riders that I've had the ability to work with or mentor or hang with, you know, I call it I call it the momentum loop. I like that a lot. You know, it's it really is. It's momentum a, it's, loop. It's all about it's all about positive momentum. You know, you have to have if you're if you've got great results happening, you've got um, good friends around, you've got you know whatever those things are: music, food, uh, you know, um, girlfriend, boyfriend. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Like as long as all those things are positive, you know, I've ended a lot of podcasts with "What's the one thing you'd say?" and I and I always say surround yourself with the most positive people and positive environment that you can because truly you become a product of your your friends and the, and the environment totally. that you you roll with. So I, I think that that is for me. That's just been a huge part of it. I try to get uh, like negativity or people that bring me down. I don't try to get them out of my life. I just I just L- limit interactions. I, I limit I, you know. It's important because it's for me. Yeah, it, it, I know that it has a negative effect on me. My Harvard squash coach used to say, um, "Happy athletes run fast." True. You know, like and I think I think there's a lot to that. This idea that uh, the way that you frame who you are in your mindset can also, in, in any form of performance, really shape a better performance. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you're so optimistic, the fact that you're so grateful, I imagine that contributed enormously to your success. Yeah, I think too. I mean, I, I felt like there was, um, not to get too deep, but I felt like there were some things that made it that way. You yeah. know, there were like things in my life that, yeah, I got really sick one year training in Tucson. I ended up in the ICU. Um, it was this thing called Valley Fever. Doctor came in, was like, hey, you've either got AIDS, cancer, or the worst case of Valley Fever. Holy and shit. I, and I felt like, boom. Okay, we're dead. So, <laughs> so we're so, gonna come yeah. back from that. So yeah. So I mean, I think things like that. You know, there's probably everyone has one, right? I'm sure you have a story that's not maybe that. You know, like, but yeah. but for me, everything after that moment is like you can find the happiness. You can find happiness in just about anything, and it doesn't take something like that. I mean, it takes you know a family member passing away. I mean, you know, totally. a, a child being born um, to see kind of to see the light. And and I think for me, it was always. I guess at that moment, I always it made me feel like I might die. Yeah, the way the doctor told me, I didn't I didn't know. Um, and what was what the those, outcome uh, of that? Like, how'd you come out of that? Yeah, I crawled around on the floor for like three months. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. So for three months, you thought you might have one of these things. No, or it got it narrowed down. No, it got narrowed down. They they found out they found out that I had this that I had gotten this fungus again. Uh, it was kind of wild because I was training in Tucson, Arizona. And um, I had just come off a big stage race, a big road stage race. How old are you? Um, it was 2006. So, so it, 12 years ago, yeah. you are like 23. Yeah. Um, but I saw some guys get stuck on the side of the road in their car. <laughs> and of course, I was on a training ride and I thought, oh, these guys need some help. <laughs> so I got out and I helped push them. But the dust is what the fungus grows in. Oh, and um, I got it all in my lungs and it collapsed my lung. So oh my it partially gosh, collapsed yeah. my lung. And that's why I ended up kind of just really beat down, um, and all the skin peeled off my body. I lost a considerable amount of weight. I was really weak. Uh, speaking about heart rate stuff, you know, my heart rate even just to Super get up elevated. to get it to get to go to the bathroom was like two hundred. Oh my gosh! So yeah, and they and a lot of people don't when it's that bad. There are cases where people don't recover, and I think that was kind of the the dramatic part of it, where they were like, "There's something here where you may not recover from it, so we don't know." But you know, basically, they do nothing for you. Essentially, that's what that they want your body to create the antibodies to to fight this off naturally. Um, but having not been from that area, not being exposed to it, and having a really high training load for the six weeks before, combined with a ton of dust in my in my face, all it was like the once, perfect storm. It really was. And but just that experience, you know, I think too, um, you just figure out that it is fragile. It's special. This is a life that's to be lived. You know, all those things come full face, and I think you just have to. I think that's where the gratitude comes from. You know, you just you not not just that one experience. That's not that's not just the one experience, but it's a combination of things. Yeah, like totally. That. I mean, it makes you, you know, think about everything in your life and how important it is. And yeah, how, you're, also how fragile it is. Yeah, I mean. you're grateful to be alive. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, whether that's like 
falling through a roof or something. I mean, there's like, everyone has a story, but you know, sometimes things happen and you just, yeah, you can make reason for it. You just say, yeah, it happened and it made me a better person and you, and you move on from it. But definitely that one experience for me was like really, uh, it definitely changed my mindset. And I feel like, I feel like I could find the good in anything. You know, even now, like, yeah, yeah, literally. I, I can, I, I just that's kind of how I I'm feel at. that way too about <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. like so much. I think of um, finding success in anything is trying to create a framework of momentum, like a framework of positivity that keeps you moving right. forwards. The momentum circle. Yeah, there you go. Momentum <laughs> loop. I used yeah. your word. There you go. Uh, well, that's amazing, man. And congratulations on coming back from all of that. I mean, when you were like twenty, uh, so you're now like twenty four you know, maybe like a year out after that experience, was it obvious to you that you were going to be able to get back to being a professional? Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, I had, yeah, I just had that resiliency. I I really wanted to do well. I wanted to, I wanted to make it. I feel like, like after I stopped going to school was maybe 2006 around there and I'd signed a pretty good contract. I was racing on the road. I was racing cyclocross. I was making a good living and I just felt like there was this moment where, cyclocross was really starting to grow i had uh i had all the tools to be able to make it happen um i had good coaches i had good you know i had a lot of people that were willing to help um and i just took that leap and i kind of went all in on it there i had said that to you before there were a lot of things that i i would have loved to have done i would have loved to have been a dj i would (laughs) have i would have loved to have you know uh been like studied you know how to cook and how to make great food i would have liked to have you know taking classes on things that I was really interested in. There were a ton of things, but I felt like cycling, I'm going to go 10,000% for this. Like everything that I have is going to go into cycling. And that's, um, after that, it was like 2007, I got signed to the best cyclocross team in the United States, um, at least in my opinion. And yeah, I feel it's like only it, a few years later. Yeah, and then I feel like everything from there just was the was the launch pad to those all those accolades. Oh, that's amazing. And now, um, how did you hear about Whoop? I was doing a cold ride, <laughs> um, okay. pretty, uh, you know, we, we, I said that we had a, uh, our son, um, two years ago almost. And, uh, I was out on a ride in Massachusetts and I met someone that worked here oh, and, cool. um, and we started talking and immediately we hit it off. I think as, you know, friends, like, yeah. like oh man. And is this Sullivan? Yeah. So John Sullivan, our VP of marketing. Yeah. Shout out Sullivan. But I had no idea that he was, that yeah. John, like yeah. it just, I thought maybe he like was an intern here. I really didn't know. We were out on a, we were out on a, <laughs> it was snowing. It was like 25 degrees and, um, it was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so yeah, when we were riding road bikes around, standing next to a fire, and I think we just got to talking, and then afterwards we had some food, and he was like, I'll send you one out, and I didn't really think much of it. I was like, I can't see myself wearing that. I've never worn a watch my whole life. Wow. Like, never, ever. So we um, had to overcome that. Yeah, okay. and um, I felt like the analytics, the data, and just the things that it taught me, as you can tell, I, I definitely care about how, I'm, um, how, much, how much I'm putting out into the world. Yeah, <laughs> you totally. know, like I, I feel yeah, like totally. this for me has really helped me gauge that. Um, but also, it's helped me understand how. So it's nine thirty now, and I say, okay, I need to get ready for bed because I understand that that's the best time for me to get into bed. Yeah. Whereas before, I'd be like, now you know what? I'm gonna go till eleven thirty. I'm gonna like finish all these emails up. I'm gonna totally. do all this extra work. I'm gonna prepare. You know, I'm gonna prepare like breakfast for tomorrow and get this thing going. And I realize so much more that if I am actually in bed at ten and I get up at six. I'm a better person to the world. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And for you in, in using the product, like how did it kind of weave throughout your day? Was it something that you'd look at throughout the day? Is it something that you would check in sort of once a day? Yeah. You, know, you start with sleep and recovery in the morning. Yeah, definitely sleep and recovery. I think if there's a day that sort of goes, you know, everyone has one where it kind of goes off the rails. You're like, totally. you had a plan and then it goes in a totally different direction. And then you've got that guilt or that that idea that you didn't do a lot. And then you look down and you see that you, you pulled a 20, not even doing any exercise. You're yeah. like, Okay, well, I'm forgiving. I guess I guess that there's that 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 whoops the little guy on the shoulder, just like you did a good job, man. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, I love it. I love it from that angle too. You know, you have a lot of people that give you great advice, whether that's a coach or a nutritionist or you know, a therapist or or whoever. Um, and you, but you second guess often, and I feel like the you know for me, whoop has really allowed me to have that that opinion, that that other kind of non there's. It's not a person, right? But there is something that's scientific there that's telling you, hey, you're actually, you're smoked today or you're actually really good. You got the green light, like go for it. And I love, I love that because it is 
Um, and it's hel- it just helped me considerably in how I manage my energy output. And are you someone who um, will go through periods of time where you're in the red, or you've kind of always yellow and green recovery, high flying? Right. Well, we just did a video showcasing um, when I was in the red. I actually got another weird thing in my. Yeah, this is a good plug for yeah. that video. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's it's on all of these, all the channels. Whoops, yeah, this social is pretty media, cool actually. My social media, but I got a. Um, we don't know if it came from my son, from wherever he was hanging out or whatever, but I got a thing called a retropharyngeal cellulitis in my throat at the beginning of the cycle. Which just doesn't season. sound good. No, yeah. basically <laughs> my throat closed up for like a week and I was sipping on, um, I was sipping on shakes trying to kind of get through this terrible period of, uh, not being able to open my mouth really. Ugh. Um, yeah. And luckily they didn't have to take my tonsils out or anything crazy. They didn't have to do any major surgeries. But I was in the red for almost a month. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and it was real. Like, it was. I felt terrible, and it was telling me that I was doing terrible. So, oh man! So yeah, I think. That I was... mean, it, it, look from my standpoint, it's really cool that we immediately pick up on things like that. But, yeah. But um, obviously, it's not great news to be in the red for a month. No, but it's also pretty hard to be in the red for a month. Oh man! I like was... if you were trying to be in the red for a month. You would have trouble. No, with it was that. it was heinous. It, it went yeah. from bad to worse to just just to horrendous. And I was I was looking for everything that I could do to get out of it. But you know, you when your body's down, I, I think I was pushing it and training again. Um, and this is one of the reasons that I did retire. Is I felt like my ability to con myself into pushing harder than I maybe could, or trying to just listen to my body. You know, I'm trying to listen to my body. I'm I'm not a spring chicken. I'm 35. I'm racing against guys that are 20. Yeah. Um, but but that but kind of knowing that I was pushing it that I was really really pushing my body past its limit of what it was willing to take on is was one of the reasons that I decided that I think I needed to, to slow down and on the positive side of that because I, I like to go there, <laughs> there we go. you know since I've decided to retire and gone that I think I've had the longest string of green days not I mean it's a good sign yeah no but for a month now I've been in the green wow um, and I felt awesome. You know, so I feel like this secret, or not secret, but just this this thing that had been kind of on my shoulders about this, my mind being like, should you retire? And then I made that decision, and I was like, okay, I'm going forward with this. This is it. Um, I've just had fantastic days, and I've, I've you know, not been training also four or five hours a day or doing double workouts. I've, I've obviously brought that down. I'm still fit, and I still really uh, am doing, you know, 12 to 15 hours of exercise a week. But it's not my entire day is revolved around it, and that has just been fantastic for me. I feel, I feel awesome. Maybe if I've had a big day, then I'll do some stretching, or I'll take a bath with some Epsom salts or something like that to kind bath of de- with Epsom salts just yeah. to kind of decompress. That's an, that's a, another theme I've been hearing recently. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a secret. Oh, I don't know a lot of athletes that do that, but I'm starting to hear more and more. About yeah, it. Uh, yeah. I think it's I think it's about the magnesium. I think it's probably there's something you know. It just makes you. Again, going back to when you're in tune with your body so much, you know that you notice the smallest thing. Totally. It just makes you feel a little better. Yeah. I think I heard on one of your podcasts, you said that you did cold showers too. I, I still do them. Yeah. Like I end now 100% of my showers end cold. Yes. Mine, I wouldn't say cold. I feel like the cold, but I definitely, I do not, I don't, first off, I don't take a hot shower anymore. Oh, so I don't like go really, really hot. I actually kind of keep it in the middle and then I'll end with like the last 30 seconds to be colder. But I, I feel like just ice cold, this doesn't, it's not my jam. Yeah, I have a slightly different point of view on this, which is I think more on the extreme side of the, the spectrum. Right. Like I, I've gotten really into, um, like I'll take a normally hot shower yeah and then i'll just flip the switch at some point right. and just go as cold as possible and in, and you know in massachusetts a cold shower is pretty <laughs> damn cold. yeah we have a well man it yeah. is like freezing yeah <laughs> and um and it's fascinating over time i've only gotten better at it uh where now i think i could stay in there for 10 minutes or whatever yeah and um i never do i never go that long yeah uh but i find that the way one i feel amazing right when i get out so and there's something to be said for just doing things that make you happy. You're right. Like, natural it things that you. make you happy. 100%. I think like is a good thing. Um, and then you know I've noticed other benefits like not that I was trying to lose weight, but it it, it made my percent body fat drop pretty dramatically, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is fine. And it, and it also I find has made me a little bit more like focused for some period of time right after doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, some of this could be placebo too, but 
focus is a placebo we're in, thing. Yeah, we're yeah. into we're into placebo. Yeah. <laughs> when it, yeah. especially when it works. So uh, so I like cold showers. I also have gotten into doing like contrast therapy where you go from love that. Yeah, so you go like sauna or Cryo. steam room. Yeah, and then go straight into like freezing cold yes. and then back and then back. Yes. yes. So what kind of stuff have you done like that? Yeah, from a performance standpoint, I always if I did a hot race where I was like I, where I know that like I cooked the kibbutz, right? Like I'm just I'm just absolutely fried. <laughs> like, I'm so hot. I'm dehydrated. I've got salt stains all over me. It's yeah. just been brutal. Um, an ice bath with a lot of fluid is just taking down that catabolic state where you just kind of shut everything down and you get the muscles to like be frozen. So ice bath has been absolutely. And when would you do that throughout your day? Uh, just, I'm just saying, like workout? after a hard workout, Any workout, like yeah, if it's just super super hot, yeah. where you where you know that you're gas, like you you're not breathing. Your breathing's like. For me, this, the signs yeah. are pretty clear. It's yeah. like, I'm, my skin's like thin. I feel like a certain way. I'm exhausted. Like my, if I take a deep breath and it's shallow, like I, there's just a combo of things where I'm like, I'm super dehydrated and I've, I've gotten too, my body's gotten too hot. Like the radiator didn't have any more in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I was not putting enough fluid in. So I think, I think that, that, uh, if I'm feeling that, then I know immediately like, Hey, I need to get into an ice bath or a cold shower or whatever I can or sit in a river. You know, it doesn't matter. Just as long as it's bringing down your core body temperature. Psychologically, what do you think is harder, an ice bath or a cold shower? Man, the ice baths are brutal. I that's I think why I've been doing those for a long time. I think that's actually why I don't like the cold shower. And and I've raced in some heinous conditions. Yeah, raced in horrible conditions. <laughs> yeah, with a winter sport, you're you're just always cold. Yeah, and I think that that, that might be part of it. Too. I think it is. I th- I think that's why I'm not looking to add any more pain to my. Or you day. might just be naturally getting it from you know exercising outside. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, I, I've bought into this concept that it's good for your body to be cold for periods of the day. Yeah. And so maybe you're already getting that naturally. I think, too, the, one of the things is I, that I've learned from Whoop, not to tie it back too much, but, but my the temperature I sleep. Uh, with oh, the, yeah, with that's it, you know, huge. 63 to 64 degrees for me is kind of like optimal. Yeah. We have to be mindful And by of the way, st- that's probably 10 degrees colder than the average athlete. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, I just, a lot of people, first of all, don't realize that you need your room cold. Yeah. And then I think I've found that over time, athletes tend to go colder and colder mm-hmm. as they start to realize the benefits of it being a colder environment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a simple fix for me was just uh, if I was in an intense training period, I'd go sleep in the basement. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really, it's a, quite a bit cooler down there and it doesn't affect my son's room. You know, he's not, he's not freezing because yeah. I want to like sleep in cold. Um, but especially in with really, really hot days when you're training in the summer and you are dehydrated and you've done all those things, definitely not being, not being really hot in the sheets and like trying to sleep in that, that for sure is, is there's a lot to that. That body temperature piece is really big. At have least you, for me it was. Have you already done anything with eye masks? Oh Yeah. I'm a believer in the eye mask. I wear an eye mask every day. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Even when it's a dark room, like I'll probably still have my eye mask. Yeah, yeah. Eye Especially mask, if you travel a lot. Yeah, I think there is it's so important. Yeah, I know, and and there's yeah, yes. <laughs> I have a lot of different eye masks. Do you time. have a good one, by the way? No. Okay. No, I know. I heard you talk about this yeah. too. No, I don't have a good one. No, I remember I listened to Ferris podcast one time, and he promoted one. I have a handful of those, but I don't think they're any different than the one you can buy at. Uh, at, at Walgreens, I think they're all kind of like little neoprene with like some stuff. We now, may secretly be doing a little. We need bit to do R&D this. Yeah, we need to. This. We need to do this. Yeah. We need to do. We I, I want to design the best sleep mask in the it's world. It's important. Yeah, it's the most important. I think that and and I travel with <clears throat> wax earplugs too. You know the ones that you would swim with. That's huge for me because I think sometimes, I haven't gone earplugs. That, that could be another level for me. Yeah, but it's it's again if you if you're traveling somewhere foreign and. Um, you know, and you don't know where you are, and you're, and you, and then you come into a situation, and you're on the road, you're on the front of a busy road, and that's where the hotel is, and you're like, okay, this is where I. It am. happens to me all the time. That's right. When I'm in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you boom, you will not, like, you know, things could happen, and you would not know. And to be clear, what kind of earbuds are you using? Uh, no, earplugs. Ear, that's what yeah, I meant. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, earplugs. Uh, the, uh, just wax, like whatever the ones that you can buy at your local. Um, you know, they're. I think they're for swimming as originally, but and they're d- disposable. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, earplugs, eye mask, a little melatonin every once in a while. Uh, just do you take the dissolvable one? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that's better. Yeah, I don't need much. I've got enough data on this to now believe that dissolvables are just better. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the exact brand that I use, but it's a little mint. It's I only need one milligram. That is a low dose. 
I really that's all I need though. That's it's, almost it's, like a placebo. It's, level no, it's lights out though for me. Yeah. I don't know what. But you it is. exercise so much that you know your body is probably exhausted enough to just pass out. Yeah. Because melatonin typically is considered better for sleep latency, which is like the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep. Yeah. Versus say keeping you asleep. Here's the thing that I know about myself. This works for me is that if I'm again, this is probably should be every night, but if I turn off all the lights and I'm just laying there in darkness and then I put the tab in versus I'm doing something or I take it, it doesn't work like that. It's not like Tylenol or ibuprofen where you're like, oh, you take it and then you kind of get on with your day. It's like if I'm in a place that's quiet and I and I have my eyes closed and I take it, then I notice that after 15 or 20 minutes, it's just it's out. You know, it just the monkey mind stops right i'm not thinking about a thousand things and i'm able to just pass right out uh yeah it's helped me it's helped me a lot especially with european travel and uh being on the road a lot any other supplements you take uh, i've taken in the winter i'll take vitamin d um but not really i mean when i was kind of going through all that you know that testing and stuff that i did where i was just trying to find out what was going on with my blood sugar i learned a lot more about my myself but it's really a I think for me, it's been about diet. I'm not a big, I don't like to take a lot of supplements. I never took a lot of Tylenol or ibuprofen in my career. I didn't do anything, really, literally nothing. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, melatonin is one that I did, you know, when I was traveling, I would use. Um, and then if I got a bad injury, I'd use a little bit of ibuprofen here and there, but really um, nothing that's anything outstanding or cool. I'm not really a biohacker. <laughs> like, yeah. The ketogenic thing was a big deal for me. Like I did that it completely, completely naturally. <laughs> you know, I didn't like use any supplements to get in or out. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, I kind of, I believe in that. I believe in just kind and, of. And uh, we talked about cold showers and, and ice baths, but were there other forms of recovery that you like to do? I mean, obviously meditation's a big one, but. Yeah, my my big massage therapy. <clears throat> yeah, totally. Yeah, massage, um, stretching. Uh, you know, using uh, like a, the roller, rollers, the stick. Are great. A, yeah. You know, the the foam roller is huge. Uh, have you used one of the vibrating foam rollers? It's the new rage. I'm Man. still a little bit old school. I, I don't I haven't I, fully converted. I don't. My friends have them, and so I use them when I'm there. But I haven't bought one yet because I'm I'm afraid. I just yeah, they really do. They're we wild. might have a couple extra ones around here if you want. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe before I leave. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want one because I feel like that's gonna be like you know. That's Are you talking about the ball or the the actual f- foam roller? The foam roller, yeah. Yeah, we we've, we've got both of those. The vibrate. I don't know. There's something about uh, the old school one that I, I kind know. of like. Yeah, all those things are amazing. Um, I travel with a tennis ball so that I can kind of put it behind me if I'm in a, if I'm going to sit somewhere for a long time and I want to have good posture. Oh, interesting. Um, what are some of your influences like when you um, when you've been forming some of these different habits? Like how how have uh, have you come about them? Just educating myself, I think from. You know, I think there's there when you're when you make a living from sport or from being an athlete, your your whole day revolves around trying to find the best people. So whether that's from a nutrition standpoint or um, a coaching standpoint or um, you know a new way to recover, I mean that's I think really it is a lot of it's self taught and a lot of it's just surrounding yourself with the people that you can find that are best. I always tell people to get a coach. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you if you can see where your biggest gain can be made is by improving your diet because you eat McDonald's every day or whatever the bad thing that you <laughs> eat is, um, then then you should put your you should put time and energy into that. If you um, don't know anything about training but you know everything about nutrition, which isn't classic, but you know, or if you haven't taken a look at you know your hydration or your blood work or whatever well then you should like do all these things to find out if you're you know if you don't have any b12 or if you have a zero vitamin d or these are there are certain things out there that i think you 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 can you can look at and know that they're big grabs and um i just tried to kind of do all of those things over over time but i really did take the time to educate myself through books podcasts um we're living in such a beautiful time where there's so much information at your fingertips and you can just if you're doing a five-hour bike ride, you can listen to it. Oh, that's another great point is you've got five hours potentially to listen to podcasts. And yeah, stuff. I listen to Freakonomics. Um, I listen to Ferris for a really long time. Um, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurial ones uh, over the years. I, I had a I had a stint with Gary Vee for a bit. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Not like physically, but oh, like okay. listening to him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, where I, I think but, he's an inspiring guy. He's very I inspiring. I met him like a month ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean probably the same ones that a lot of people listen to. I think um, 
a lot of the functional medicine doctors that are out there I found to be really interesting. Um, Rhonda Patrick. Um, I'll listen to like select Joe Rogan podcast, you know, if, if it's someone that I find to be really interesting. But yeah. definitely like the functional medicine side. Uh, Chris Kressler. Um, um, nourish, I think it's Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Um, a bunch of a bunch of people like that that are kind of really thinking about you know uh, the body in a different way and how we how we kind of approach you know illness or totally. whatever. There was a time when I listened to a lot of the Dominique D'Agostino stuff because it was the ketogenic. Um, oh, right. There was like a period there in 2015 where he was going around and talking a lot. Uh, Peter Tia. All things I think about, yeah. <laughs> all, all guys, yeah. all people that I listen to, and and uh, I find there are some really great talents out there, people that are just <clears throat> so smart at what they're doing, and you just kind of like blown away by it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love so much about about uh, Whoop is that I naturally get to meet people like yourself sure. or other people who are somehow connected to performance or improving the body. And yeah, you just try to pick up things along the way. Tony Robbins too. I love. I don't love Tony's podcast, but I like. I think he's really. Um, if you talk about like someone that you can find that's like really positive, man, that yeah, guy. That guy's. Like, <laughs> that guy's just got like, you know. I don't know. I think he blows everyone out of the water with positivity. I'm sure he goes home and has to take ten for himself, but yeah, you know, things like that. I think are. No, I do like that dude. Yeah, positivity for sure. Not that there's a lot of negative podcasts, but I'm not listening to things that don't make bring me something that I feel really energized by. What are some? Uh, who are some athletes that inspire you? Could Man, be in any sport. Yeah, um, tough one. Yeah, <laughs> tough one. I think in cycling, it, you know, there were there were a handful of people that I looked up to that then ended up not to be people that you should be looking up to. So it's it's tough. Um, that is tough, right? I mean, just how tainted some of those stars yeah. turned out to be. Yeah. Um, What's your takeaway from that? Like, is it, you know, like a guy like Lance Armstrong, right? Yeah. Like, there's sort of like two lenses to look at this guy. Yeah. On one way, he's this huge inspiration. He raised a ton of money for cancer research. Right. Yeah. He I was competing at a, at a sport that, to be fair, was dirty. He just happened to be the best at it. Yeah. On the other side of it, it's like he was a very dirty athlete. He betrayed yeah. a lot of people, like... Yeah, I think I'm I'm a fan of like the humans. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I like want people to be happy and be outgoing towards other people. I think um, I wish you know I wish him well. I hope he's happy. I hope he's doing what he wants to do. And uh, I, I don't um, you know having been in a handful of races with him and and also knowing a lot of people that he's interacted with. It's uh, yeah, maybe I have a different view of it. You know, the sport did gain an incredible amount of. Um, success from him and from his reign and from the time that he spent racing so i think he's uh definitely not someone that i like go around i'm not i don't not, hate on you're not bad mouth no i think that there's a ton of athletes that i get inspired by i mean truthfully like i think i think that it's incredible like kate corney is an awesome athlete you know yeah, i don't totally. i don't look up to kate corney i don't like follow every move she makes but i'm inspired by people's uh, ability to focus on one thing and i really i think the thing that across the board i love super talented people yeah. so people that have insane talent and in whatever it is um i think i just i'm like genuinely whether you know dj am was someone that i was uh i don't know if anyone here will even know who dj am was but he was really like the beginning of a dj that could um mix genres beyond like what a normal person would be able to do he could go from rock and roll to country back to hip-hop and then and then kind of all around and his ability to be kind of use both hands and mix and use the tools that he had in his day to be able to kind of motivate and move a crowd and and change the perception of what a DJ could do with music and how he could influence you know popular culture I think that for me is someone that I was um, that I always looked up to and was like man that's 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 a that's a miracle that's someone that was given a gift you know yeah so I think things like that are people that I I definitely emulate or look up to or try to um take a bit of and then make my own well it's great man i mean you congratulations on everything you've accomplished in your career um and uh it's been awesome having you on whoop uh i know you're now working on uh the jam fund yeah that's our nonprofit. you want to talk about that for a sec yeah that's a nonprofit that i started with my friends um basically we did it to make it easier you know cycling is a tough sport um JAM is an acronym for Jeremy, Alec, and Makunda. Those are my friends um, that I started it with. And those guys are a couple years older than me. They gave me a lot of... <laughs> my parents gave me a lot. <laughs> they, they helped me, but those guys kind of like rounded it out for me, is what sure. I like to say. Um, and 
Yeah, so we raise money um, and by design, uh, we have events and programs that we are able to raise money through and then we give those, uh, the money that we raise to a racing program that takes riders around that are trying to turn pro. We've had quite a few riders turn pro and make a living from it and still continue to live in, in the community that we're in in Western Massachusetts, uh, which has been really fun part for all of us to be able to see that come through. And then, um, and then we give grants. So we tailor out grants and we try to just um, give to riders that are in our local area um, that are, you know, I want to, they, they write us, you know, I'm 12 years old from Putney, Vermont, and I want to do six races this year and I want $300 to do it, or I'm asking for $300 yeah, to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, so we would do something like that. And, and then it goes kind of from there, it goes up, you know, right. so a rider, but really everything's geographically based so we can see the riders occasionally and stay in touch with them and give them uh, feedback. But we want to, we feel like we can make an impact. It's a, it's, we don't have a huge budget. We, we do it. It's a very modest budget, but, um, really it's all about doing what we can locally. So it's not a national or international organization giving grants all over the place. We really try to stay focused locally and, um, build up our community. Well, it sounds like an amazing cause. And you know, even if you're you're helping one person, you yeah. know, accomplish their dreams. Yeah. We've made a huge difference. We have, yeah. It's been it's been really fulfilling and super fun, and I think it has helped a lot of people out, and uh, I know it has. So I, I, I love doing it. That's going to continue on, even though I'm retiring. Jam Fun will continue on. And if people want to learn more or donate, or can they? Yeah, it's uh, jam, J-A-M, cycling.org. Okay, cool. And we'll put that in the, the show notes and Sweet. make sure people can find it. Definitely. Um, come, but, out to our, come out to our ride. It's in July. It's July 13th in Southampton, Massachusetts. It's a gravel ride. Oh, I'm there. Yeah, yeah that'll be fun. You don't need to come. I, if you're not, do you, how much do you ride? I don't ride. So, yeah, so yeah. that's not going to be the right ride for you. Oh, okay. Well, so maybe that's too hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can come and have the barbecue, though. It's a pretty sweet barbecue. Okay. All right. Or All right. don't. I'll, I'll come to the barbecue. We're going to plug it here, though, so people will come, hopefully. Yeah, well, I thought you were inviting me. So. You should come. <laughs> We'd love to have you. No, no, no. <laughs> Jeremy, awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you. Congrats thank you for having career, me. Man, and, uh, and thanks for being on Whoop. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for making Whoop so that we can all have a little bit better, brighter, easier, uh, well-recovered days. So thank you for having me. Oh, well said, man. Thanks. Big thank you to Jeremy for coming on the show and congratulations, man, on your amazing career and your retirement. If you're not already a member, you can join the Whoop community now for as low as $18 a month. We'll provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, and more. The membership comes with a free Whoopstrap 2.0. And for listening to this podcast, folks, if you enter the code Will Ahmed, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, at checkout, we'll give you 30 bucks off. So thank you for listening. Put 30 bucks on my tab, and hopefully you enjoy Whoop. For our European customers, the code is Will Ahmed E-U. Just tack E-U on the end of my name, and that'll get you 30 euros off when you join. Check out whoop.com slash the locker for show notes and more including links to relevant topics from our conversation. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed and follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions. For our current members, we've got a lot of new gear in the Whoop store. I suggest you check that out. It includes 6, 12, and 18-month gift cards, help you save over time. We've got new bands, new colors, new textures. Visit whoop.com for more. Thank you again for listening to the Whoop podcast. We'll see you next week.